0: Welcome to the sixth season of Scene to Song, a musical theater podcast for people who love to discuss, critique, and celebrate musicals as a literary art form. I'm your host, Shoshana Greenberg, and each episode, I'll bring on a guest to talk about a musical, musical theater writer, or a topic or trend in musical theater. My guest today is Dr. Ashley Pribble. Ashley currently works as a Professor of Humanities at Florida Southwestern State College. She received her PhD in Musicology from Washington University in St. Louis, where she was a Harvey Fellow in American Studies and a Graduate Fellow at the Center for the Humanities. Her dissertation, titled Sociocultural and Antagonistic Collaboration in the Harold Prince, Stephen Sondheim Musicals, 1970-1979, analyzed the politics of Stephen Sondheim's musicals through a prism of collaboration. Pribble's current book project, Fifty Years of Company, Exploring Marriage, Gender, and Sexuality Through an American Musical, 1970-2020, has received funding from the Society for American Music and the New York Public Library. She has also taught at the University of Texas, Washington University in St. Louis, and Arizona State University. We're going to talk today about marriage in musical theater. Hey Ashley, thank you so much for being on Scene to Song.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat today about some of my favorite topics. So
0: great. Well, before we do that, we will start in with our get to know our guest questions. So what was your first experience with a musical?
1: So my mom is the reason I love musicals. She took me to see shows when I was a kid. She told me that she took me to see Side by Side by Sondheim when I was three. So I blame her for that, for being a Sondheim scholar. But uh, the first one I remember was going to see a community theater production of Fiddler on the Roof, which is still one of my A-tier favorite shows. And I just remember loving it and being so excited. I must have been, you know, five or something. So I really grew up listening to and going to the theater with my mom.
0: Nice. Um what is the last great musical you saw uh
1: once on this island i saw the broadway revival of once on this island and i just thought everything about it was great it had live animals which is fun it was an interesting staging i love circle in the square it's one of my favorite theaters i've seen a lot of cool stuff there so just excellent show interesting music And I think a great job for revival of making it interesting and and feeling modern.
0: What's a musical that people would be surprised to find out you love?
1: And why would they be surprised? So this one was tough because I love most things. That's like Mm -hmm. my general approach to life is that I like things. Um, But I think sort of how much I like it, one that would surprise people is Sunset Boulevard. And I think the reason is... One, there's often this sort of rivalry between Sondheim and Weber fans that I don't subscribe to at all. My first sort of obsessively loved musical was Phantom of the Opera. But I also, I just think that it's such, Sunset Boulevard has such an underrated score. It's dark, it has that sort of film noir sound And I I love the movie, the original film as well. Um, I write about that film in my dissertation, and actually in relation to Follies. But yeah, I just I think that most people would think, oh, she doesn't like Andrew Lloyd Webber. She doesn't like, you know, especially one of the more I, I won't say obscure, but less popular of his shows. But I just think it's totally underrated and just a great show.
0: What is your favorite musical that no one else has heard of?
1: So this one was tough. So I saved my actual answer for the last question. So I'm going to plug another musical that I really love that I think um, more people should know. And it's this weird little musical by Adam Goodall called Floyd Collins. And maybe you do know this one. I hope more people do. It's never had a Broadway run. So I think not as many people know it. It wasn't on spotify at all until like three or four years ago so the only way you could listen to it was to actually like go get the cd when i was studying for my comprehensive exams Um, but it is a cool show it has like a bluegrass style music it's about a true story of this guy who got stuck in a cave and it is kind of the first sort of mass media story in the United States that's what it's known for but the score is just absolutely to me amazing it has a style that no other musical i can think of has and the show itself i won't give away the end but i'll just say it's extremely moving so yeah check it out i did
0: yeah it's so hard to find a production of that show but i did get to see a production of it um like 15 years ago or so nyu i guess steinhardt did a production of it
1: yeah i've actually never seen a production i've just listened to the album and i would uh there was a rumor i don't know what's going on with it because shows get announced all the time that never happened you know but there was uh an announcement that there may be a broadway run in the future i don't know how well it would do on broadway maybe okay oh i would do something really bad to get to see that show
0: (laughs) what subjects or characters do you wish more
1: musicals would explore okay so i want to combine this and the is it the last question uh
0: yeah yeah, the um what is a moment in a musical that you think gets (laughs) to a complex emotional state you didn't think was possible to get to
1: Yeah, I want to combine these two Mm -hmm. because I want to talk about American Psycho, the musical. Oh, yeah. This is the one I, if you don't know this musical, I'm sorry for you. I went and I saw it on Broadway. As soon as the show was over, I immediately bought another ticket and saw it again two nights later. And I've seen a, a smaller community theater production when I lived in Phoenix. Toby Yatso, if you're listening, amazing job in the lead role. But it was just such a good musical. And I will say that this is going to go along with my taste. I love things that are really messed up, that make people feel very, very uncomfortable. And that's what this did. And I want more musicals like this. That's why I'm combining these two together. I want more musicals that are not cathartic, right? Most musicals, are cathartic. Like songs make you feel emotions very, very strongly. That's some of their power that they have. And so to have a show that is purposefully holding that back so that you're not sure how you're supposed to feel. You're confused. Is this show a satire? Is he being? Is it am I supposed to take this seriously? Is it a black comedy? He's saying these horrible things. Am I supposed to laugh? I don't know. I feel awful. I want more shows like that. Now I will say I'm probably in the minority. But I I just think that it can be really easy. And this is I guess this is why I love Sondheim too. This is why I've always loved Sondheim. Is I feel like he does hit those notes as well. Not as strongly as that show. But definitely if you're watching Assassins or Parts of Sweeney Todd or even, you know, shows like Company that have that sort of bitter 70s feel to them. I really love that. And not to like bag on new, rag on new musicals or anything, although I'll just rag on them anyway, but like we're getting a lot of musicals about teenagers, for teenagers. Disney musicals are always, you know, for kids. And I just want sort of more adult musicals. I want musicals that are sexy, musicals that make you feel uncomfortable. Another show that did this recently uh, was the revival of Oklahoma, which everyone's been calling Dark Oklahoma. I should have said that is the greatest one I've seen lately. I don't know why I didn't say that. And so to, I would like to see more darker, upsetting, uncomfortable shows.
0: Well, let's move uh, from there into our our topic to talking about marriage and musical theater uh, with a focus on company since that's I guess the biggest marriage show that that a lot of people know also that you're working on uh, writing about uh, but also some other musicals about marriage in there as well.
1: Yes, I'm writing a book on company and marriage. And so what we're talking about now, if you like it, one day my book will be out. Please buy it. But um, this is sort of, for me, what got me interested in company was, if you read a history of the musical, there's two important shows, Oklahoma and company. Sometimes it's showboat. Sometimes it's Oklahoma, depending on the narrative, right. and company. And to me, Showboat slash Oklahoma makes sense. Very popular shows, very influential shows, you know, clearly had long term effects and continued to be part of the zeitgeist. Company, not so much. Company is a show that hasn't had a lot of imitators there's not really a lot of shows like it I don't really see I see it's influenced some but not a ton and it's definitely not a show that most people know and by most people I don't mean musical theater people all you guys being like of course I know it Uh, I mean like if I asked my mom who is a casual musical theater goer if she knew the show she would say no she does now because we went to go see it together. That was my first experience actually with the show, is going to see it in the theater with the, the Neil Patrick Harris version. My question was why? Why do we see this show as so important? Mm-hmm. What is it that makes it important? And everyone was talking about the structure of the show, that the structure of the show is what makes it important. It doesn't have what we call a teleological narrative. So, teleological here means a goal-oriented narrative. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can say it also doesn't have a chronological narrative, and I think that's true as well. Like, is the birthday party one birthday party? Is it multiple birthday parties? Who knows? But whatever, it's something about the structure lacking sort of this, like, straight-through storyline that starts at point A and gets to point B. But there were other shows that had already kind of done that, like Hair like Cabaret, even Cabaret has some more of that, but it has lots of interjections and other things going on. And so I was like, okay, what is it about this show? And I realized it's because it is a show about marriage. Mm-hmm. And so now I will go back <laughs> to talking about why this is important. So most shows in the history of musical theater have been about Getting married, right? That's how Oklahoma ends. Oklahoma ends with a marriage boy meets girl Boy courts girl. They kind of fall in love. There's some kind of problem They resolve the problem. They live happily ever after that's Oklahoma. That's guys and dolls. That's so many shows and really sort of the fundamental essence of romantic comedy Right. Which is which is what musicals were to start Um, going back to Cole Porter and and all those early shows. And so this was a time when marriage was a necessity. So we had this idea, which was fairly new in the 20th century, that you could choose who you were going to marry and that who you married would be your best friend. This is called companionate marriage. This is very new into the early 20th century. Before that, it was just really important that you marry someone of the correct class who had money. Think like Jane Austen style novels. Right. But with the 20th century, especially as we see women getting the right to vote, women being able to have more independence, so not complete independence. It becomes more about um, finding someone you're compatible with. And this is the this is what the romantic comedy is all about, right? Finding someone that you love, that you feel compatible with. So this becomes sort of the primary story that we start to tell ourselves is the story of how do I find this person? I need to get married. That is an that is just assumed. How do I go about finding this person? So that is sort of where we start at. And to me, what makes company so interesting is it's not about that. It starts before that moment. It starts with, do I even want to get married at all? Mm -hmm. And that's the question that it's trying to answer the whole night. And that is very different than these other shows. And for me, that's why it doesn't have a chronological story, because it's not trying to tell a chronological story. It's trying to grapple with what happens before we even start the story. Mm -hmm. So the reason I see we see this happening in 1970 is because of a lot of social, economic, political things that are happening, marriage fundamentally changes in a way that I think I don't know how old you are. I'm thirty five. Um, has existed for us our whole lives. I assume Mm -hmm. you're close to my age. I don't know.
0: I'm 40, yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Has existed for us our whole lives. So it's hard for us to to put ourselves back there. So before the feminist movement, women couldn't have credit cards, couldn't open a bank account, couldn't get a mortgage. Uh, The wages for women were very low. And so... Really, marriage was required for women to survive. To be able to survive, women had to get married. And men benefited significantly from those marriages. Because women primarily didn't work or their primary job was to take care of the kids, to take care of their husband, Women, uh, men received a lot of free labor. They received a lot of unpaid labor from their wives that was kind of expected. Think like the Mad Men kind of situation, right? As women start to get more independence, marriage is changing in this really fundamental way where these gender norms and gendered expectations are kind of disappearing. And this happens too in part because of two Supreme Court decisions. Uh, One is Griswold v. Connecticut. So this makes birth control legal when it is the primary foundation for a second one, which, of course, we all know Roe v. Wade. But it's really Griswold v. Connecticut that starts this shift of, okay, marriage is not only about having children either. And this is one of the things I think that's so interesting about company is we see all of these married people, married couples, and children are hardly mentioned at all. Mm -hmm. That's changed in the new gender reversed one, which we can talk about later. But children are not mentioned at all because children are no longer required as part of a marriage. You can use birth control. You can have an abortion. You don't have to have children in your marriage anymore. And finally, the last thing is no-fault divorce. And this is the thing that I cannot wrap my head around and I really can't get my students to wrap their head around, which is Before 1969, the first state to pass no fault divorce was California. If you wanted a divorce, you had to get the courts to approve your divorce and you had to have a reason. This is what um, the gay divorcee is all about, or gay divorce, the Cole Porter Mm -hmm. uh, film slash musical is he wants a divorce. So he tries to set up his wife so he can catch her cheating because then he can get a divorce. But you can only get a divorce if you have a reason. And so all of a sudden we say, okay, you don't have to have a reason to get divorced anymore. You're a woman. You don't have to be financially dependent on your husband. You don't have to have children to hold you together. So all of these things that had been sort of this is what marriage is. Marriage is a contract. Marriage is gendered. Marriage is about raising kids are gone. They're gone. And so it makes sense to me that in 1970, we would see a show questioning why get married in the first place. And I think that that is to me, what makes it so revolutionary is that it is taking what has been traditionally the subject of most musicals. I mean, even Fiddler on the Roof, even though it has a very different structure, it's all about marriage, right? right. So many shows are all about marriage, being married, carousel, not cabaret, which is an interesting mm-hmm. one. Um that's and it also directed by Harold Prince, which I always like to point out. Right. There's a nice little through line there. All of a sudden, this this topic that is really the bread and butter of the musical, we have a show that's approaching it from a new, fresh, unique kind of way. And that's why I think it's so interesting. And has continued to be seen as really, really important, even though it's important might not importance might not be so obvious because after that, we really see a move away from shows about marriage. Hmm. And like, even though we still have those traditional shows about marriage or about courting or whatever, like even Mean Girls, right, which isn't about marriage, still has like this boy meets girl love interest kind of thing, a romantic plot line. Uh, but it opens it up a lot more to seeing all kinds of different kinds of shows happening.
0: Yeah. And Company was 1970, which starts off like a very interesting decade, I think for all art. But for musicals, you get so many different styles of musicals in that decade. There's Yeah, the
1: 70s is wild. Yeah. It's really wild. <laughs>
0: It's like there's the Sondheim shows that a lot of people know, like Company Follies, Little Night Music, to over, all the way to Sweeney Todd, and then uh, like, things like Grease, things like... Uh, the, Wiz?
1: the Wiz. The Wiz is in the 70s. Yeah.
0: Uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber shows, like Stephen Schwartz so, shows. It's like all going on.
1: <laughs> Pippin. Yeah, Pippin yeah. is such a strange show. I love that show so much.
0: Yeah. And I know you had mentioned like there were certain shows kind of leading up to company that deal with marriage in particular ways.
1: I mean, I'm making it sound like this show is so groundbreaking, but just like everything, we get there from somewhere, right? It doesn't appear out of nowhere. And um, I'm going to point back to another show that people love to talk about. As if it's really, really important in a way that I think, like company, its importance is not at all connected to how well people know it. And that's Allegro. Mm -hmm. So if you guys don't know, this is a Rodgers and Hammerstein show that is really weird. It was a flop. Um, It wasn't very popular. And... It has a really weird structure, which is it starts at a man's birth, and it goes sort of through his whole life. And it is a strange little show because of the sort of long period it's trying to cover and really only focusing on this one guy through this sort of weird life process. And Sondheim talks about how influential the show was to him a lot. And I remember I was so excited to listen to it. I was like, oh, everyone talks about this show. It's so great. And I hated it. It is really about marriage in this same way where, you know, it is about his life and growing up and he gets married and he is really unhappy in this kind of traditional suburban marriage and, and commits infidelity. And um, I think ultimately ends up not going well, basically. And he's tempted away to, he wants like this better life that he can't have. And it's really very Hammerstein in that it is really idealizing like the small town life. Over the big city, which is one of the, to me, the other big things that Hammerstein does is he moves the musical away from New York and Sondheim moves it right back. But, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and so it has this weird, interesting structure and it is questioning, you know, can we be happy in marriage? What happens if we want more? And it is post war and, you know, the war really changed how. Society was structured, right? This is when women went to work. I'm actually um, hosting a movie night for my university next month. We're gonna watch *A League of Their Own*, which is all about this, right? If you haven't seen yeah. *A League of Their Own*, go see it. It's great, a <laughs> uh, great movie. Um, but it's about a, a girls, a, a women's baseball league. And this is what happened in World War II. All the women started going to work. And the sort of social fabric was really breaking down, and I think we look at Allegro, and in some way it's very nostalgic. It's very nostalgic for this sort of past idea of what marriage used to be, what the world used to be before the war, which makes sense because I it comes out in 1947, yeah, 1947, and the big city the new life, the ambition, that is all sort of the villain of the story, right? Is this, you know, new sort of edgy, whatever it is, and, you know, Green Grow the Lilacs, and Oklahoma is sort of the nostalgia, which is also similar to then another show that came out the next year with Kurt Weill and Alan J. Lerner of Lerner and Lowe, called Love Life and I will say Naomi Graeber just wrote a really great book about Kurt Weil. so if you're interested you should check out her book uh, where she talks about this show a lot but this one is also all about marriage and also has a weird structure even weirder than Allegro where it's about a married couple starting in 1791 and going to the present which is that time is 1948 and struggling with their marriage and dealing with sort of the major societal changes that happen in those 150 years. And it's a weird show because they never age, right? They never (laughs) age. It is like they live 150 years and they stay the same age forever, which is the weird structure part of the show that I think reminds me of company a lot in that, It isn't about reality, right? It's not about reality. It's not trying to get any kind of realism into it. And this one also ends with an idealized version or nostalgia for this sort of pre-industrial agrarian era of the United States. They're like, let's just go back to 1791 when we had traditional gender roles and we didn't have a world war and there was no Holocaust and everything was great. Right. Mm-hmm. Only if you're white. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and it's, it's a weird little show because of that. Also a flop. Um, not as much as Allegro, I think because people had come to expect sort of more interesting things from Vile and, our expectations really manipulate our reception of things, right? Um, yeah. Allegra was certainly not a traditional uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein show. This is very much, I would say, up the alley of Kurt Bile, so <laughs> speak. But it also has this weird sort of story. And you do see this nostalgia for this past and this nostalgia for before things were changing so much.
0: Yeah, it kind of um, also reminds me a little of Brigadoon in a way, just like that time passage being wonky.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I love that you bring that up, too, because Brigadoon also kind of has that nostalgia, right? They like live in Mm -hmm. a little place, like it's a town that reappears and it stays the same. Yeah, it has that sort of old timey feel to it, the town
0: yeah yeah because they they go from like one day to the next and like 200 years pass everywhere else 200 or 100 i keep forgetting 100 years whatever it i is. don't
1: remember yeah. some large amount of time
0: passes everywhere else and they it to them it's just one day but um but yeah it, it sounds like uh learner had a, a an interest in uh in time what time passage does to people or lack thereof. Time time passage or lack thereof.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think it makes sense in the 40s the after the war to be having mm-hmm. this sort of interest in in the past and trying to go back to the way things were before. Because mm-hmm. the war was so awful, so disruptive, so And technology, of course, played a role in that, right? Technology with the gas chambers, with the atom bomb, with everything like that. Like Modernization was seen by a lot of artists after World War II as something really negative. And I mean, even, um, not to get too academic on this podcast, but even philosophers like Theodora Dorno we really skeptical about jazz and mass production of music and all of this stuff, because there was all of these concerns about as technology is changing, what is that doing to us? What is that doing to the world? I mean, these are questions they are still asking today, right. With social media and everything right. else. And so I think this built in nostalgia for, for a different time. And in this case for when, um, this institution of marriage was more clear when it was very clear what you were supposed to do. Right. Um, you know, this is what I tell my students when we talk about this is, you know, in the agrarian past, you had to get married for survival. Your options were like marry or join the church. Those were sort of the two options for a long time in Western society. And so, and when you got married, what you did was clear, right? If you were a man, you worked in the field, you built the barn, you did all those things. If you were a woman, you made candles and baked bread and raised children. And the division of labor was very clear. And I will say, I think, of course, just like everything else, when we look past back in the past and have nostalgia, it's never as nice as we think it is, mm-hmm. Uh but I do understand the desire for, for simplicity in that way. Yeah. And then, um, I thought it was interesting because you mentioned also, I do, I do, which I can't yeah. remember if I mentioned or not. I don't think I did. No, I, I,
0: I right. threw that in there just cause, you know, thinking, of, I've never seen that show, but I just, the title, as soon as we started talking, uh, you know, thinking about marriage and musicals, that title popped into my head and I was like, I feel like we have to talk about, I do, I do, uh, since it's, I mean, it's literally called I do, I do for the (laughs) getting married and it is like about a marriage.
1: It's Mary Martin, which made me very happy,
0: right? Like the actors in it, Mary Martin, Robert Preston, like both
1: amazing. Well, it's interesting because it only has one set. Yeah, on the same set for the whole time. It's only those two characters. It really goes through sort of the whole gamut of marriage. And The thing that really stuck out to me... So this is from 1966. From 1966. So this is four years before company. And it is also very much questioning marriage in this interesting way. Because they are very unhappy. Like, they sort of oscillate being happy and unhappy throughout the whole thing.
0: Yeah. It's very very dark in a way. Like, just in terms of, like, what they do to each other and...
1: It gets really ugly. <laughs> yeah, they um, first the husband cheats, and then eventually the wife wants to cheat. It's unclear if she does. I don't think she does, but yeah. she wants to, because you know I think it would still be very scandalous for a woman to have an affair and be forgiven. In a way, it's not for men. Mm. Still, maybe even right. now, they and they're a holes to each other. Mm-hmm. The husband is such a jerk.
0: When your husband treats you like a piece of dirt, when you find a purple lipstick on his shirt, then, my dear, it's clear the honeymoon is over, and you'd better be on the alert.
1: When your wife decides that she should wear the pants, when she gets your goat each time she gets the chance, then, my dear, it's clear the honeymoon is over, and you'd better search for some romance. Time you. Saw your old trusty lawyer.
0: Ask him where you should find
1: another nest of feather. And I was really struck by that because I do think one thing that's new about our generation, I hope, is we actually want to like our spouse. hmm Like even with my parents who I love, I hope they don't listen to this. I won't tell them about it. <laughs> even my parents who i i love and have been married for 40 years now and i guess are happy question mark um they i i sometimes question if they like each other and mm-hmm. i think it's very much like they grew up in this world which is the world that we're talking about in this show where you know men come from Mars and women come from Venus right this idea that men and women are somehow different and incompatible and uh have different lives and different ways of thinking about things and um and all these like weird stereotypes that I think are I hope are going away now um but I don't know I don't hang out with straight people very much (laughs) I don't know the answer to that
0: yeah Yeah, it was funny. I was uh, watching these videos um, on YouTube of just like other productions, I guess it gets done regionally a lot. um, Or I don't know how often, but there were videos of scenes from the show. And then one had like, audience member reactions as they were coming out of the theater. And they were like, Oh, it's great. And one of them was like, Oh, it reminds me of my marriage. And I was thinking, like, wow, like, (laughs) that's that's something, um, you know, to admit, I guess on the on this but, but yeah, I I mean, it probably does remind people of their marriage marriages, you know, from that generation.
1: Yeah. And there's ways that it's like weirdly traditional because like after they get married, like the first song that Mary Martin sings is how she's never seen a man naked before. Mm -hmm. Right. So this implication that she's a virgin, which is like clearly not happening in company, right? So I, I do think this show does feel like it's for one generation before
0: it, it ends in like the end of the, the 60s when they're older. So like they've gotten married, I think, in the 20s or whenever it's supposed to be. So, yeah, they're they um Yeah, they're the generation before.
1: Yeah, because like this is not a show for the same people that are going to go see hair. Like, it's very clear that those are two different audiences that are happening. Uh, mm-hmm. This here is like, what, two years later? It's an
0: interesting show to come just, like, four years before company in terms of, like, uh, what they both, how they both handle marriage. And plot-wise, like, this is, ex- uh, I Do, I Do is extremely linear. Like, yeah. it's just going along <laughs> with the, t- I mean, it condenses time in a, in an interesting way, but it's still telling it from, you know, A to Z.
1: Well, it has this feeling of inevitability, right? Mm-hmm. That like time is passing and this is what happens in a marriage. This is how Allegro feels too to me. Like, yeah. this very much feeling of inevitability mm-hmm. that company is questioning altogether, right? Right, right so do we just accept that this is how life is what happens if we choose not to accept that this is how life is because i do feel like i do i do is all being like this is how life is this is how your marriage is gonna go right everyone in the audience who's married is somewhere on this general spectrum of life whatever it is uh there's also some assumed heterosexuality in that which i find interesting as well Hmm. But but yeah, and so Company is like almost in in many ways the exact opposite of this show. Yeah. And that also musically as well. I mean, if we want to talk about the music, you know, I Do, I Do is like a very traditional musical theater score. Whereas, of course, Company is pastiche and weird and modern and hip for its time. I always use the word hip in my class (laughs) so my students will laugh because it's such an old-timey word from the 70s and the 60s, but I'll use right. it anyway. It's very hip.
0: Company it you know I mean there was hair, but to yeah, to encounter that sound in you know going to a Broadway theater after seeing something like I do, I do. <laughs>
1: me to the, to the last point I wanted to talk about which is you know musicals were doing some of this stuff you know and we look at I think cabaret as being actually very important in this sort of evolution of musicals not just because of its content and everything but because of its structure um, and also because of the role Harold Prince played who I think is um, 100% overlooked as an important figure in mm-hmm. musical theater he directed cabaret he directed company he directed Phantom of the opera like to me those are like three shows sweeney todd evita he did at the same time mm-hmm. um like he to me sort of represents this shift that happens and is like fundamental in this shift happening and was so invested in these larger, this is what my dissertation is all about, so this might be a (laughs) soapbox rant, but so invested in these larger socio-political issues in this really important way and in creating these really interesting shows. Interesting. I'm
0: wondering, like, this is something I've thought about with other artists too who write about marriage um, in a lot of their work who are also gay or queer or whatever or do you think there's something about um queer writers like the examination of marriage in their their work because i i'm also like a thornton wilder person and he marriages throughout his work like so it's just something i've been thinking about like was there maybe something in these queer writers who as since they could never get married or maybe they weren't interested in getting married or whatever it was, um,
1: to examine that institution. I think so for sure, because I think they have this outsider perspective, right? Mm -hmm. Like even the ones who did get married, like Michael Bennett or whoever we want to talk about, um, whether it was, um, a fake marriage. I hate that. Um, the term Mm -hmm. actually used to be a New York marriage, um, (laughs) So a New York marriage was when a man and a woman got married and one or both of them was gay. So it's mm-hmm. like a marriage of convenience. This is what Cole Porter had with right. like, his wife. They were best friends. So this is why I'm like, I don't like to say it was fake because I right. think it was the same way with Michael Bennett and Donna McKechnie. You know, I do think that there is a solid foundation for an emotional relationship, even if there's not a sexual one happening. Right, um, And then a Boston marriage is when two women live together and they may or may not be having sex, um, but they sort of pull their resources because it's so hard for women to live independently. So New mm-hmm. York marriage, Boston marriage, just throwing that out there. I think they're, yeah. they're fun little term. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think like for people who are excluded from that or who are maybe less invested in it, it's such a weird institution. I think, especially for men, I think for women, sorry, I'm trying to think of like the gay women I know who wrote about marriage and it is a little bit different. um, Because there is this, still this pressure for women to have to be married, even if you are gay Mm -hmm. because of the financial aspect of it. Right. Um, So I think of, like, Patricia Highsmith, who wrote The Price of Salt, which got turned into the movie Carol, if you've seen the Mm -hmm. movie. Uh, That's my favorite book, The Price of Salt. Uh, And, you know, the way she writes about marriage is very different because it's very much this thing that you have to do. There is this idea of you can step away and sort of see it from the outside in a way that other people can't because Mm -hmm. it's such a fundamental part of their lives and I think a weird obsession with it because you know I think for people who are heterosexual there is like part of them that wants to get married like especially if you want kids or whatever it is that you feel is necessary in your life like if you were a man and you wanted kids even if you were gay like marriage was a necessity. So yeah, I think it is this weird little thing that if you look at it from an objective point of view, it's so strange. Yeah. And I mean, this being in queer communities and, and sort of functioning in queer communities my whole adult life has really made me um, think about marriage in a different way because I see all the other ways that people have structured their lives that aren't through marriage. Right.
0: Do you think that there are, you know, musicals, you know, today that are addressing this more or like I guess what's what's like the next evolution in the marriage musical? Has that happened yet or no?
1: <laughs> I think it's hard now because mm-hmm. It's so expensive. And I'm going to say this from the perspective of I'm a Broadway musical scholar. So Mm -hmm. I don't study musicals not on Broadway. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to just start by saying that right now. If you have cool musicals you like, you want to share them with me, audience, please send them to me on Twitter. But (laughs) um, yeah, I don't know because I don't know if there's an audience for them. I think Mm -hmm. there are some attempts. I think. Uh, I just mentioned Six, which I really loved, which is still about marriage, but it's it's about it in a more interesting way, I think. Yeah. Um, and about sort of giving women their power back in marriage. It, it had some problems, but I liked it a lot. Uh, and then I think of like um, Fun Home mm-hmm. and Fun Home being more expansively about family more generally rather than being about marriage. And I see that happening a lot as well. I think there is more interest now in thinking about relationships and families on sort of a larger scale rather than just on the the courting part of it. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen A Strange Loop, but I think it's kind of about that as well. With A Strange Loop,
0: I I was thinking about that one, and it, it really is like the focus on one person, I guess, and his... Relationship to himself and his—it's his his journey. There's him wanting to have like a relationship with somebody, yeah. but there's no there's no real marriage talk in it at all.
1: Yeah, and and also, at least from what I've heard, as I said, I haven't listened to it, so I could be totally wrong. But mm-hmm. it does seem like part of it is also his relationship with his family, like yes, with his person. parents, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so focusing on that kind of relationship. But I think even like Mean Girls does this to some extent, right? Where like, yes, the boy is part of it, but it is mm-hmm. so much more about like friendships and social order and and what it means to be cool and, and this kind of thing. Of course, those are all for teenagers. That's for teenagers. Right. So that's a little different. But, but yeah, I, I do also see like there's definitely more musicals centered around um, women's friendships. I think this has been since Wicked. This is one mm-hmm. of the things I think Wicked did that was really great. Was sort of, um, even though, of course, Wicked also has a very strong romantic plot line, that's not the primary relationship of that show. Right. Right. And then when Frozen came out, it was very similar. Like, Frozen mm-hmm. is also a story that isn't about a relationship, even though relationships are in it, right? But it is much more focused on the relationship between Elsa and Anna. Right. The romantic plots are still there, but yeah. we're looking at other kinds of relationships in these yeah. stories. And I think that's great. I I love that a lot. And I think it's um, it's healthier for mm-hmm. for us to not be so focused on romance as the be all end all, but but really thinking about who else is important to us in our lives. Oh, I say that as I write a book on marriage. So, that you- <laughs> yeah. But I guess I will say I'm one of those queer people who mm-hmm. is interested in marriage because it seems so foreign to me. I actually am um, finishing up articles or edits on an article right now. The edits are due March 1, so I think it'll be out before the end of the year mm-hmm. in the journal Studies in Musical Theater. Mm-hmm. And it is people's personal um experiences with Sondheim from marginalized positions Hmm. and I am submitting an article that talks about all the stuff I just talked about um which is being generally for me a romantic not interested in romantic relationships and why Mm -hmm. I really attached myself to company because Mm -hmm. there was Bobby someone who like me did not want a relationship Mm -hmm. wasn't into it wanted other things in life and and wanted to just be friends and have a few people on rotation and was perfectly happy and that was me for a long time till i met my girlfriend damn her i'm just kidding. <laughs> i love her a lot uh uh check that article out check out the whole issue if you like sondheim and you want to think of his shows from a different point of view yeah so let's uh talk
0: about the why is this so good Uh, selection, which is Marry Me a Little from Company, uh, right on theme.
1: (laughs) This this is a perfect segue because I remember hearing this song the first time I saw Company and being like, yes, that's what I want. How do I get that? How do I get that? That's what I want. Something like that. Um, And I used to always joke that I was Bobby at the end of Act One, that Mm -hmm. I was just stuck at Bobby at the end of Act One. I was at this song for years. Like, this is what I wanted. And so I I'll give a little history of this song for people who don't know. Because it has a weird little history. Mm-hmm. Um, it was originally written as so Sondheim wrote a number happily ever after to be the final song of company. It was too dark. So It sort of flopped at tryouts. If you haven't heard that one, go listen to it. It's weird. Um, I love it, but it's weird. (laughs) And then he wrote um, Marry Me a Little to go at the end. Also, not what Harold Prince or audiences wanted. And so then he wrote Being Alive. So Being Alive, actually, he wrote one more in there too. But Being Alive was the fourth ending that they wrote for this show um and so marry me a little sort of um just sat in a drawer i think people would perform it like in cabarets or whatever but it was wasn't ever part of a show until the revival of the show in 19 in the 1990s and then it was re-added at the end of act one And I think that's great, because I think ending Act 1, where it used to end, which was just with Bobby's proposal, um, doesn't really work dramatically, because there's no song, right? Mm -hmm. We have Not Getting Married Today, the scene where he proposes to Amy, a little bit of the Bobby, Bobby, Bobby Mm -hmm. end end of... To me, that doesn't work great dramatically. But I also think this song works great because it's exactly where Bobby is at that point. Right. Like it is very much that. So we can talk about why I love it now. Sorry for the (laughs) precursor. But um this show this song is um almost like Our Lady Doth protest too much, but kind of the opposite. Like he keeps saying I'm ready, I'm ready. That's the the part that keeps coming back. I'm ready, I'm ready now. And by having him repeat that over and over and over, dramatically in this song, you realize how not ready he is. Because that's really what it's about. Yeah. <laughs> Marry me a little, love me just enough. Cry but not too often, play but not too rough. Keep a tender distance So we'll both be free That's the way it ought to be I'm ready Marry me a little Do it with a will Make a few demands I'm able to fulfill Want me more than others Not exclusively That's the way it ought to be I'm ready. I'm ready now. And the other thing I think about this song that is so great is uh, it allows a lot of room for the actor to be dramatic with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Do you know this song, right? <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. No, I I love this song, and I. But I I think I I like I. To me, it's like yes, he's he's not ready at this point because he like is saying these all these things in the lyrics, like that is obvious. It, it's obvious that that's not what marriage is. Like we'll look not too deep, we'll go not too far, we won't have to give up a thing, we'll stay who we are, you know. Oh
1: yeah. Uh, <laughs> my favorite thing. at the end: you promise whatever you like, I'll never collect. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Perhaps there could be a marriage like this with that works i mean who's to say but it just it feels very like i i want this halfway <laughs> like i want this like but like maybe i want this but like only if i don't have to do too much he doesn't to get want to be- it
1: vulnerable that's the thing he doesn't want to be vulnerable right he wants to keep a tender distance play but not too rough cry but not too often right Mm -hmm. so like faux vulnerability that's what he's willing to give because that's the thing he is i mean this is very in vogue in the 70s right was to be like distanced from things and he's very distanced from his himself and his own emotions and and playing this role and so I think like, yeah, you're right. I can see a marriage that does exist like this, right? Where, mm-hmm. and I think that, you know, if we are thinking about these older marriages of like obligation, that this is mm-hmm. probably what they were like, right? Yeah. Um, at some level. But now that marriage is not an obligation to anymore, which is the thesis that we're, that I'm taking at this mm-hmm. point, and I think that the show is taking as well. Um, then the vulnerability is it. That's what marriage is about because it isn't about anything else anymore. Right. It's just about having this connection with someone else.
0: Yeah. One thing I love, like, I think my main, the, the main thing I love about this song is the music and the, the, you can be my best friend section. Repeats, yeah, the b and section. Oh, hell, yeah Yeah, in the b sections and then it repeats in the oh how gently we'll talk i actually sort of feel like there is a little vulnerability there in the music like he the just the way it like um pulls back and it's very delicate there
1: yeah that's what what i like about it is it has this like a section But, yeah, I agree. The B section has this vulnerability, this delicacy, this more um, softer side. Uh, Mm -hmm. This is how Raul Esparza plays it. I love his version Mm -hmm. of this song. So, I would say, listeners, if you haven't heard it, go listen to it right now. (laughs) Um, uh, But, yeah, it has this vulnerability to it that allows the actor to sort of do this, like, big I'm ready marry me a little is more aggressive and then to pull it back and to be more vulnerable in this part because I think he wants to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Like he wants to want it. You can be my best friend I can be your right arm We'll go through a fight or two No harm No Oh, not too far we won't have to give
0: up a thing will stay who we are
1: So that's why, like, yeah, we do get this, like, you can be my best friend. I can be your right arm. We'll go through a fight or two. But then he very quickly will look not too deep. We'll go not yeah. too far. We won't have to give up a thing. We'll stay who we are. So they both sections kind of start off like that, too. Oh, how gently we'll talk. Oh, how softly we'll tread. All the things, the ugly things will keep unsaid. Okay, that's not great. And then... Um, <laughs> will build a cocoon of love and respect, that's great. You promise whatever you like, I'll never collect. That's not so great, right? So mm-hmm. they, it is the sections you know, where I think it starts off okay and then he, he gets out of it, right? He gets louder, mm-hmm. he builds up to the I'm ready. So I think you're totally right. I think the music reflects um, him trying to be vulnerable or being vulnerable and then deflecting it again.
0: Yeah. Or like maybe trying to get at being vulnerable. Like maybe he's not there yet, but he's like searching for it in a way. And like, it's, it's there somewhat, but he's, he's not there yet.
1: Yeah. And, and, and I think like, if we were to like parallel this with being alive, because being Mm -hmm. alive is the finale of act two. It's where this song was originally. Like, I think they're a good pairing as well Yeah, because being alive kind of does the opposite of that, where he starts off as being very, like, I don't want to be married, and then has that turning point, and then is like, okay, I'm going to be vulnerable now. This one is, like, the opposite of, like, I'm not going to be... I'm going to try, and then I'm going to fail. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of, like, working in reverse in some ways.
0: Yeah. They're also there i think it's before marry me a little where there's the line the um they're talking and someone i forget who says it but you have to it's not about wanting some like somebody you like, have to
1: want somebody you can't just yeah want somebody somebody yeah
0: and all and both of these songs are about someone just like a someone you know they're they're
1: so theoretical um yeah, so that happens before that, and then it comes back halfway through being alive. So it's, you're right; it's actually in both of those songs. So right. it precursors this one, and then is echoed again before the turning point. Except, uh, I think Amy says want something, and so it is. It does have the same idea, and then it yeah it goes from somebody, someone to hold you mm-hmm. too close, and then somebody crowd me mm-hmm. with love somebody forced me to care yeah so it does have that parallels as well
0: yeah it's just interesting because like there's no there's still like there's still no actual person that he or she in the revival i don't know my conception of of marriage is like and maybe this is like a a, a more contemporary conception is like you get married if there is a specific somebody you want to marry And if that like it has to do with like the person, whereas like company is is kind of talking about it in a way that's like, even though they have that line where it's like, it's not about somebody, it's about some body. It's still talking about it in this way that it's like it's it's about it. It's just someone.
1: It's interesting you say that, because one of the things I was thinking about about these two different songs is that. In "Marry Me a Little," he uses "we," Mm-hmm. and "Being Alive" doesn't use "we." Mm. And so, there, I think, in some ways, "Marry Me a Little" has more of like a fictional person in mind mm-hmm. than "Being Alive" does.
0: Yeah, yeah. I guess "Being Alive" is just like kind of about
1: his or her personal journey. yeah which is the idea (laughs) which is why when you said that strange loop was about his personal journey i started thinking that as well like Hmm. oh maybe that is something that is you know come from company that is still very much present is this idea of, of focusing on one person and their journey rather than any relationship they have with anyone else because that's exactly what company is right there's never a person right I mean yeah. not really. He's clearly not marrying April. Let's all be right. real here.
0: <laughs> yeah, although in the recent revival when April is Andy, I kind of liked them together.
1: <laughs> I love a himbo, so it is what yeah. it is, but
0: Yeah, yeah. I was like, actually, I'm I'm kind of into this. I would love to see where this goes, but that's not where it goes. So <laughs> um great well let's uh move to the next section uh something wonderful just something we're looking forward to in musical theater that we uh want to give a shout out to
1: yeah i want to plug my friend ryan donovan's new book i don't know if it's going i think it will already be out by the time this podcast comes out Mm -hmm. and it's called broadway bodies And it's a book about casting practices on Broadway and sort of the narrow ways that we have historically cast uh, musicals to disclude uh, people of color, fat people, disabled people, and like really, really rethinking and revolutionizing what casting practices could look like. And he's been working on this book for a long time and as someone who is really interested in the musical as not just a text, but as a performed experience and a shared experience in the theater, this is 100% how I feel musicals are. This is why I don't like to be spoiled before I go Mm -hmm. see one, right? Because for me, it's about having the experience with other people and having this live experience. And, you know, if you're interested in those kinds of questions about, you know, what does it mean to have certain kinds of bodies on stage? How does casting work? How is it discriminatory? What are the possibilities we could have? Uh, this is just going to, he's so smart. And this book, I saw him give some of the research from it at a conference I hosted in 2018. Mm-hmm. 2018. God, I feel like time is a flat circle. Um, <laughs> Who knows with COVID, but in 2018. And so I would highly recommend, I know it is technically an academic book, but he's a really good writer. Hmm. So if you're interested in in learning more about musicals and thinking about these kinds of questions, go check it out. Um, I can't wait to read it myself. So
0: yeah, that sounds, that sounds fascinating. I'll definitely keep an eye out for that um my thing will be the as the day we're recording this the casting for oliver at city center came out today so i it saw just that. yeah it just reminded me of how much i really love that show and underrated show yeah um and uh i hope i get to see it uh like i i thought the casting looked really good so um i'm so
1: jealous you live in new york
0: Thank you all for listening to this episode of scene to song if you aren't yet a patreon subscriber this would be a great week to join as this episode has a lot of great cut material that you'll only get to hear if you support the show on the patreon for as little as three dollars a month you'll get to hear some great conversations with the guests that didn't make it onto the episodes you can write to scene at gmail.com with a comment or question about an episode or about musical theater or if you'd like to be a podcast guest. Love this podcast? Help it find more listeners by rating it on Apple Podcasts and leaving a review. Follow on Instagram at Scene2Song, on Twitter at SceneSong, and on Facebook at Scene2Song with Shoshana Greenberg Podcast. Sign up for our monthly e-newsletter at scene2song.substack.com. The theme music you are hearing is by Julia Meinwald. And check back here in two weeks for our next
1: episode.